You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome again to Peninsula Bible Church. It's my pleasure to bring the word to you this morning out of Ephesians. Uh, There was a comet in uh, 1973. It was called the Comet of the Century, Comet Kohutek, and it created quite a stir. And I really liked the story that this fellow by the name of Mark Lane uh, told about uh, that particular comet or that his experience with that comet looking back on his teenage years. So I'm just going to read this uh, story that he tells, what happened in his neighborhood when the comet appeared. In 1973, my friend Bud and I had discussed the logistics of sighting the comet of the century. Bud was a certified bad influence in most parental eyes. Mainly, it was the hair. Bud decided the optimum viewing site would be his girlfriend's house on Saturday night. So Dusk found the three of us sitting on her front yard, peering between trees and rooftops to where the comet should appear. The session might have ended right there, except the man across the street was out, too. He had a ladder next to the house and was fiddling with his television antenna. Wire in hand, he glanced at us suspiciously the way adults have always looked at gatherings of three or more teens. Hey, Mr. Thomas, Bud's girlfriend shouted and waved. We ran over, told Mr. Thomas about the comet of the century, and, well, the latter being right there and all, the neighbor let us up. But not out of the spirit of scientific inquiry. No, he had a certain knowledge that once he came down from the roof, his wife had another job waiting. This seemed the perfect, perfect excuse, and, well, this is the comet of the century. The paper said so. Within three minutes, the guy from the next house wandered over and asked what was up. We told told him, and he clambered up too. This attracted the attention of someone across the street. Soon, a half a dozen people were standing on Mr. Thomas's roof, peering intently into the northeast sky. Somebody brought up a a lawn chair. Somebody else brought up refreshments. It turned out to be a block party. What's going on up there, Mrs. Thomas yelled from the kitchen window. You still on that antenna? Just got a little help. Shouldn't be too long. He, he pulled the flip top off the can, 1973. He pulled the flip top off the can appreciatively. The evening was now spoken for. No sight of the comet, though. Kahootek never was bigger than a tiny pinpoint, even if you could find it, and I never did. Still, it did cause a minor neighborhood event. People do not get together much, and if, a, and if Comet Hype can promote that, well, so much the better. Mr. Thomas was always nicer to us after that and stopped calling the police when Bud parked in front of his house. How can you call the police on someone with whom you've shared your roof? Besides, TV reception was Never better. The aluminum can that got lodged in the antenna must have done the trick. As for me, I always look up when I see someone squinting at the sky. It could be a comet. It could be a party. I'm up for either. So now if a a comet can bring people together like that, what do you think Jesus can do? What can Jesus do? Well, we saw last week that he unites Jews and Gentiles, which means he he unites all believers in Christ into one body. We are, Paul says, strangely enough, together, one new human being. We're part of the same body. We're part of the same household. Christ unites us. 
So Paul continues along the same lines in Ephesians chapter 3. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. First of all, beginning at verse 1, going down to verse 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul identifies himself here as a prisoner of Christ. Right now, he is actually writing from prison. He is a prisoner of Caesar. He's a prisoner of Rome. But that doesn't really matter to Paul because he identifies himself. He sees himself as a prisoner of Christ. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel, and he's following Jesus. It doesn't matter to him whether he's in prison or out of prison. He is free to follow Christ. And he's following Christ for the sake of the Gentiles here in this case. He's the, God, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. It's true for us as well. We are prisoners of Christ if we believe in Jesus. And that means no matter what restrictions are placed on us, no matter what we see as the limitations in our lives, we are absolutely and totally free because we are prisoners of Christ. We are free to follow Christ. Paul says he was given this stewardship by God, the stewardship of God's grace. That's the message of the gospel, especially the message of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And this uh, ministry, this stewardship was given to him by revelation. Paul is an apostle, which means he has received revelation from God. He's received revelation from God to preach and then ultimately to write some of these great books that we see in the New Testament. He says he has written about this mystery before briefly. And he's done that in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. And so we've seen already something of the mystery, but now he's going to go into a lot more details concerning the mystery in chapter 3. So there's this mystery. There's a mystery. What's the mystery? Let's look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul says, by reading this letter, you can perceive my insight into this mystery. And this mystery has been revealed to the New Testament prophets and apostles, Paul, of course, being one of them. And now he calls the mystery the mystery of Christ, which raises the question, well, we know now that the mystery has something to do with Christ, but what specifically is the mystery of Christ? A mystery, biblically speaking, is something that has been withheld but is now disclosed. The mystery is revealed. What? precisely is the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So the mystery of Christ now is revealed. What is this mystery? This has been hidden 
for the ages and uh, something of it was made known to the prophets in days of old in the Old Testament. But now this is something new. Something new has been revealed to the New Testament prophets and apostles. And that mystery is this. The mystery of Christ is this. Jews and Gentiles, that means everyone who believes in Christ, Jews and Gentiles have been united in Christ based on their union with Christ. You see that? So there's this union that happens between all ethnicities who believe in Christ based on their union with Christ. Christ unites us across ethnic lines, brings us all together into one body. This is union, union in Christ. That's the mystery of Christ. All ethnicities coming together in Christ. This was not revealed previously but now it has been disclosed and it's happening in the gospel, which is the gospel of the good news concerning the Jewish Messiah, who is, of course, Jesus of Nazareth, also known as Jesus Christ. Now, this mystery is part of a greater mystery to unite everything. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that Christ unites things on earth and things in heaven so that Christ brings together the whole universe. He's in the process of doing that, and as part of that, he unites Jews and Gentiles in him. So that now the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ, and fellow partakers of the promise of God in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about this a little bit. So all of us now are fellow heirs. We have all of this in common, fellow heirs, and in the, the Old Testament, the whole idea of inheritance or being an heir was connected to the land. The New Testament, that whole promise expands to be all creation, the new heavens, the new earth. We are all heirs, fellow heirs of the new creation, which means when the new creation comes, we're going to enjoy that together forever. We are fellow members of the body of Christ. We now constitute, as believers in Jesus, we constitute his body, his hands and feet on earth, and we need each other to do that. We are together in the body of Christ, and then we are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, which includes not least the promise of the Holy Spirit who gives us spiritual life. So we have all of this in Christ Jesus. We have these things in common. So it's very important to understand that, yes, Christ saves us as individuals, but saving us as individuals, he then incorporates us into the multi-ethnic, worldwide, eternal people of God. So there is this togetherness here that we have. Now, this is not simply tolerance. This is not simply coexistence. This is not simply equality. This is unity. The many become one, especially in the book of Ephesians, the many ethnicities become one. And Paul says that you can perceive this simply by reading what he has written in the book of Ephesians. What does is, what is verse 4 say again? When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. We're reading this right now. Now, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, it was a letter and it would be read aloud to the church. 
And so we're reading it aloud here, and we're studying it. We're trying to understand his words. And as we read these words, we can perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ. Sadly, many people who claim to be following Jesus Christ act as if they haven't read these words. They can understand simply by reading, but they're not understanding. Or maybe they haven't read Ephesians. Maybe they haven't read Romans. Maybe they haven't read Galatians. Maybe they haven't read Acts. Maybe they haven't read the book of Revelation. Or maybe they're reading the book of Revelation wrongly. And so many people seem to just not get it that what Christ does is he unites people across ethnic lines and brings them together into one body. That is part of the gospel message. And it is an important part that we need to understand. I, I read a couple sermons based on this passage, and, they, and even those pastors seem to gloss over the main point here. But to me, it is absolutely clear and obvious that Paul is bringing, that's the mystery of Christ, that, Paul, that God is bringing the different ethnicities, ethnicities together in Christ. So when, I think when God then looks at a particular church or fellowship that is a multi-ethnic church or fellowship, and he sees those people worshiping him and following him together, I think God must be pleased. Now, at, at PBC, we could long for more diversity, but I think we have a lot of diversity, and that is to be celebrated. Jerry and Alice Ann have been part of our fellowship here since 1985 or so, and when they came here, they came from overseas, and when they came here, uh, there were very few Asians at Peninsula Bible Church. And I asked them to write a little bit of their experience, and they have done that for me. And I'm just going to read what they have written. We have no shared background. Relating and communicating requires deliberate effort. We did not grow up in the States, and we did not share common customs, enthusiasm with sports, or even jokes. So unity has its challenges. Unity is beautiful, but it has its challenges. We express our family values differently. This touches on everyday lives, from how we relate to what is expected of each other as we go through different life stages. Particular to Asian families in this part of the world is that many of us were recent immigrants or foreign nationals. Many of us have worries about our future in this country and our family abroad. Nevertheless, we decided to stay and grow with this community because we were encouraged, challenged, and attracted by the teaching of God's word here, teaching that directed us to seek, appreciate, and love God more. We were fed with solid food, not just milk. We appreciated the authentic faith in this church. No one was more godly, holier than another. Uh, there were no experts here. We were all seekers, disciples of Jesus. This genuineness and simplicity were refreshing and attractive. We were seen, valued, and loved. We were cared for and supported. Many invested their lives to train us, gave us opportunities to serve, encouraged us to use our spiritual gifts, and affirmed us that our contributions made a difference. Someone once told us seeing and knowing about God from a different culture allows us to have a bigger and fuller picture of who God is. This has certainly been our experience at PBC. 
PBC has helped us increase not only our understanding of who God is, but we have also been able to experience the width and the depth of Jesus' love through this community. Several years ago, I, I went to visit another church in another state. I was visiting there, and it was, very, it was a rather large church. And when I walked through the doors, I immediately felt that something was off, and I didn't know what it was. Actually, there were two things that were a little off. The first thing was everyone was there. Church started, and everyone was there. And I realized I'm not in California anymore. People actually come to church on time at this place. That was the one thing that was just struck me as a little bit odd. Well, actually, that's not odd. That's the way to do it, by the way. Come to church on time. Be ready to worship. Something powerful is happening here. But the, the thing that, that I'm talking about is that I didn't know what was off, and I looked around, and I realized what it was. I kinda, everybody looked like me. It was a church full of white people. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Once I realized what was bothering me, that everything was fine. The church simply represented the demographics of its area. But it took me a second to adjust to that. And I realized that I had been coming to PBC for so long that I had been acclimated to a multi-ethnic community and that I appreciated that. And so that this thing being together with all white people just seemed to me a little bit strange. There's something off about it. Now, of course, there's nothing off about it. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's simply what God was doing in that church, and God's doing something different in this church. I just happen to like our church a little better, that's all. And so, um, uh, yeah, God does different things in different places with different fellowships, and I think that God is doing something really beautiful here. Now, when, when Christ brings people together of different ethnicities... This actually has a powerful outward effect in a surprising way, in a, in a surprising spiritual way. And we see that beginning in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold or the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul calls himself the least of the saints. Elsewhere, he calls himself the least of the apostles because he was once a persecutor of the church. That could be the reason here why he calls himself the least of the saints. And it was given to him to preach about the unsearchable riches in Christ. Now, we have seen these riches spelled out for us in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. And these are unfathomable. They are unsearchable. You can't really get to the bottom of it. And, uh, but Paul has done the best he can to sort of to re reveal them to us. Still, no matter how much we know, we cannot penetrate. We cannot completely penetrate everything, everything there is to know, or even one particular rich that we, we want to get to know. We can't know all of that. It is unpenetratable completely. And as I said many times before, we're only scratching the surface. But we have scratched, and we're going to keep scratching. This, to me, is very encouraging. On the one hand, I sort of want to know everything. On the other hand, I'm happy I don't know everything because there's so much more to know. 
which I've said before, creates for this incredible lifelong adventure in which we are exploring the riches of Christ. And can you imagine what it will be like having explored all of these riches in Christ when we actually see Christ face to face? Keep searching for those unsearchable riches. It is a rewarding search. So Paul, again, talks about the mystery, the mystery of Christ. It's been hidden by God for a long, long time, ready to be revealed at the last time. And we are the privileged ones. It has been revealed to us, the mystery of Christ, to unite all ethnicities as one uh, man in one body in Christ. And so so Paul now talks about this as the, the manifold wisdom of God or the multifaceted wisdom of God. What is this? It has to be, based on the context, the multi-ethnic wisdom of God, that God is expressing himself in the church through all of these ethnicities that have combined together in Christ. And this has this powerful outward effect. Where? In the spiritual realm, so that he wants, God wants to make something known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places, which include, demon, which include angels, but more especially in the book of Ephesians, demons. Satan and his demons. What do Satan and his demons want to do? They want to divide people. And they, they do this very easily because there are different tribes. There are different ethnicities. And all of these, this, we've got this one little tribe over here and they identify themselves as part of this tribe and you've got the tribe over here and they identify themselves as part of this tribe and eventually this tribe thinks it's better than this tribe or is threatened by this tribe and they war against one another. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to divide the world up into little chunks They don't like each other and even hate each other and war against each other. And what does God want to do? God wants to bring humans together in Christ. And that's what he does in Christ. That's the mystery of Christ. And this is where we are all heading, by the way. John gets this fabulous vision in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That, folks, is where we're heading. Every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. So I say, let's get on with it. Let's start now, anticipating heaven, anticipating the new creation. And so when we do that, when, when, the, when the people of God come together, especially when the multi-ethnic people of God come together and worship God, the demons get the idea that their time is up. And, and Paul says that this eternal purpose of God to unite the ethnicities it has been realized, not completely but it has been realized in part in anticipation of the day when 
it will be fully realized. And together, then, we have access to God. That's Paul's point here in verse 12. It's a together aspect to our joint relationship with God. We can approach God individually, of course, but we can also approach him together. We have this boldness and this confidence to access God, to approach God. So what is happening here as we gather together on a Sunday morning? First of all, we are embodying the multifaceted wisdom of God. That's happening here. As we come together to worship, we are embodying the multifaceted wisdom of God. We are also tasting heaven. We are tasting the future in the present. And finally, we are letting the demons know that their time is up. Now, did you know that all of this was happening as you come together with your brothers and sisters to worship the Lord on a Sunday morning? This is powerful stuff. It's stuff that we don't see and maybe understand unless we get into the book of Ephesians. And folks, you got to get down here because this is where it's happening. This is where the powerful spiritual stuff is happening as we come together in Christ to worship the Lord together. Years ago, when I was part of another church over in Pleasanton, we would take an annual trip to Ensenada, Mexico, to do vacation Bible school and to do construction projects. And we would always worship at this this little church, this little cinder uh, cinder block church in uh, one of the barrios in Ensenada. And we would come together and it was very simple and it was very plain and we would sing songs together. We would study the word together. And uh, on one particular Sunday, this was very powerful. I remember it very well. We decided that we were going to sing Amazing Grace together. And no one, everyone knew the words and no one needed a hymn book or anything like that. So we sang Amazing Grace together. The Mexicans sang it in Spanish and we sang it in English. And uh, we did not, we harmonized uh, ethically, ethnically. We did not harmonize musically. In fact, I'm sure because we had no instruments or anything like that, I'm sure we didn't sound that great. Then again, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And when we finished, we all knew that we had experienced something powerful. So Paul finishes by where he started. He identified himself as a prisoner of the Lord, prisoner of Christ. Maybe they're concerned about his condition. And he says, don't worry about me, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, hey, this is, this is all worth suffering for. You're worth suffering for. So don't worry about this. I'm, I'm more than happy to suffer for the gospel. I'm more than happy to languish in prison for your sake. If that's why I'm here, hey, no problem. Don't worry about me. So what can Jesus do? That's our question for the day. What can Jesus do? There was a man by the name of Ken Parker, and he was a white supremacist. He marched in Charlottesville in 2017. He uh, he spit out racial slurs. He celebrated the violence when that woman was killed by that guy who plowed into her. He was giddy. He celebrated. However, After Charlottesville, something began to shift inside him. 
and he began to inch away from his previous beliefs. He was influenced by a random encounter with a woman of Southeast Asian descent who was kind to him. He was also influenced by his fiancée. Then he met a neighbor who was also kind to him, and this also influenced him. This neighbor's name was William McKinnon III, and he was the pastor of a predominantly African-American church. So the two began to meet up regularly. And eventually, McKinnon, the pastor, invited Parker, the white supremacist, to start attending his church. And that's exactly what he did. He started going to the church. He brought his fiancée to the church. And then finally, McKinnon invited him to get up and from the pulpit share his testimony with his black church. And he did so. And Parker recalls his experience giving that testimony. I said I was a grand dragon of the KKK. And then the Klan wasn't hateful enough for me, so I decided to become a Nazi. And a lot of them, their jaws about hit the floor. And their eyes got real big. But after the service, not a single one of them had anything negative to say. They're all coming up and hugging me and shaking my hand, you know, building me up instead of tearing me down. So after that, Ken Parker, the former white supremacist, walked into the Atlantic Ocean, hand in hand with William McKinnon III, his black pastor, and was baptized. Here's a photo. Now, I ask you, once again, what can Jesus do? Answer, more than we think. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, what, what can we do in response to such words coming from the Apostle Paul, but just marvel and say thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for saving us, those of us who have been saved. And Lord, I pray for anyone who has not yet given his or her life to you, that they would do so this morning. Thank you, Lord, not only for saving us, for, but for bringing us together in the body of Christ so we get this full picture of who you are. Would you help us by your spirit, to live out of the reality that we see in this great text. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we come together, and as we sing together, especially as we sing together as a multi-ethnic community, it is a powerful thing. The demons get the message that their time is up. Something powerful is happening when we sing together. Indeed, our weapon is a melody. So we're going to sing one more song, and I hope that we sing it with full hearts because Christ brings us together. 
in Christ alone.